When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 946. Uh, if you're going to be in Denver, Colorado this weekend, April 5th through 7th, uh, I will be at Comedy Works there downtown near Larimer Square with uh, Mike Furman and April Richardson. So go on the internet and uh, get tickets to that. Come to that. The shows are fun. All right. Now, uh, enough about me. Let's talk about you, the ID10T podcast listener, and what you're up to. So a uh, longtime Nerdist slash ID10T fan... Uh, Patty Marvel writes, Keep Talking is a monthly storytelling show here in Cleveland, hosted by the lovely and talented Adam Richard and Zachariah Durr, and is held every first Wednesday of the month at the Happy Dog on Detroit Avenue at 7 p.m. Admission is only five bucks. The show's been featured on uh, WCPN and WOW, or is it WOW? I don't know the local lingo. I'm sorry, Cleveland. Uh, But you have to get to the Happy Dog before 6.30 if you want to get a good seat. And... These guys need you, Adam and Zachariah, to participate. Everyone has a story. Everyone has a life experience that fits one of the monthly themes like dating or service industry or I shouldn't be doing this. So if you live in Northeast Ohio, send your short story pitches beginning, middle, and end to keeptalkingcle at gmail.com today. And uh, check the Keep Talking Facebook page for more details. Thanks, Patty Marvel. Uh, also, the Friends of L.A. River 2018 River Cleanup is this month. Uh, there are three weekends spread out through L.A. where volunteers can come help clean up the L.A. River. Um, a river is a very generous term for what we have here. But the concrete basin that uh, sometimes collects a little bit of rainwater and flows it down to the ocean, but most of the time is kind of a trash pile. Um, so that's why there's a cleanup. They've been around for 29 years. Volunteers from last year's event picked up 100 tons of trash. Help them pick up even more this year by volunteering. It's free. It's fun. And you're going to help create a better L.A. Cleanups will begin happening April 14th, 21st, and 28th. Visit folar.org for more info or to sign up. This episode is John Cena, who was the best dude. I mean, he was so nice. He came in uh, in the middle of a busy press day, looked great, was in a great suit, and uh, just was overall super cool. And again, I, the more wrestlers I meet, the more and more respect I have for for these guys and the WWE and the wrestlers. I mean, it's I've 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 been privileged to talk to so many great dudes uh, who are wrestlers, and it really uh, it makes me happy. And John Cena, this episode this episode will warm your damn heart. And if it doesn't, then maybe you just don't have a heart, my friend. Maybe you need to stick something in there, like a ticking clock or something, or put a cow heart in there. I don't know. But John Cena is in the movie Blockers, uh, which is really funny, by the way. He's in it. Leslie Mann is great in it. Um, Ike Barinholtz is great in it. Um, All the young women who play the high school kids who uh, create a virginity loss pact for prom are all fantastic as well. Uh, It's super funny. It comes out April 6th. Go support comedy movies in the theaters. And also support John Cena, because he's a good guy. Unless you're a wrestling fan and you're like, well, no, it's fun to not like John Cena. I like someone else. Well, that's totally your right, too. But I feel like you can't not love the guy. So here's the ID10T podcast number 946 with John Cena. Katie, please roll the thing. Initiating ID10T protocol.
Isn't this a great, creepy... We're in, a, we're in the tiniest table in a large, yeah. cavernous conference room. I try to make it pretty messed up for you guys. <laughs> yeah. it's so, and there's one weird chair yep. at the corner of the room. I thought about bringing that chair over and just sitting in that chair. I'd have been okay with it. You yeah? Did. yeah. <laughs> How's your press day going so far? It's good. Good. It's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's fun. I mean... To be in peak physical condition, does this prepare you to be in peak mental condition to have to deal with the, the onslaught of, a, of like a junket? I can answer this one, John. Uh, yes. uh, <laughs> it's not that hard. It's, it's, actually, uh, it's actually a great answer. It's not, it's, bro, it's not that hard. Good. Here we are uh, talking about something that I enjoy, something that's making people laugh. Um, it's, I mean, I, I come from the business of promotion anyway. Right. I know this is what this is what we do. So right. It's it's not hard at all. I mean, this. So I grew up in I grew up in Memphis at a time when Jerry Lawler. Bill right. Kennedy. Exactly. Exactly. Yes, I, I was. I'm old enough to remember watching all of the Andy Kaufman Lawler yeah. stuff happen yeah. at WMC in Memphis, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, you know, wrestling to me was such a strange. I didn't really understand it as a kid. Because I'm like, I don't know. Is it, is it real? Is it not real? What's happening? Everyone's a character. The yeah. Kaufman thing was interesting, and so it didn't quite take hold. But I found that over the years, a lot of the wrestlers that I become friends with are like the nicest, nerdiest dudes. Yeah. How it would so, <laughs> so that's a safe assumption. <laughs> so is it just that these nice nerdy guys with a sort of a penchant for performance just got in somehow these titan bodies that could then no? Go? I think it's we we're we're in the business of imagination, and and a lot of that creativity rests on your own shoulders. So you say nerdy, but like things that quote-unquote nerds are drawn to are like uh, the creativity behind video games right. or comic books right. or these uh, superhero stories. If, that, if that's what defines a nerd, then we're all nerds because <laughs> our job is to go out there and be a superhero or a supervillain. It's not like I want to run a 40-yard dash as fast as I can. Right. Now, in creating your superhero character, if your character can look musculature or like big – you have an advantage to people believing you're a real superhero. Right. So it's only in your best interests to be in superhero-type shape. So that kind of comes with the territory. But we're not, we're not in a pure sport environment. Like, um, it's, it's, it's a comic book existence. So I think that's why we share certain views on culture. And I also think that's why we're so nice about everything for the most part because also we shouldn't be doing it as a job. It's, it's, not, it's not an occupation that should exist. Like we, we have, I think all of us, although you do, I mean, you certainly do earn your living because it, it, you, you're never home. Uh, your body takes a beating, but I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. And I think any one of my colleagues would say the same thing. It's, it's something more like the jokes on them. They pay us to do it. Right. Right. That's such a great... I never thought about it that way, but it really is like a live-action comic book universe. We're in the imagination business, my friend. I love that. That that gives me... That really gives me an emotional way into it. And I have over the years, like, again, you know, CM Punk used to come on Talking Dead, and we became friends, and, and, you know, and Mick Foley's been on the podcast, Mm -hmm. and Chris Jericho, and, and it just... Person after person, I was like, these guys are so great. They're such genuine people. Well, I know personally that, um... I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. I know that uh, it's a time-dependent thing. I know the ride's going to end, and I'm enjoying it as long as I'm on it. Yeah. So at what point did you – at what point did this become an option for you, or did you realize that this was going to be an option? I think, I think when you talk to guys like the, the aforementioned people you just listed, um, as well as anyone who's ever been in this industry, um, the ones that have long-standing power, like a, a long career – the ones that have any sort of longevity, whether it's in the WWE or longevity outside of it, they do it because they got into it because they wanted to. Not like somebody said, hey, kid, you could be really good at this. Um, someone brought to my attention that I could train to be a pro wrestler. I didn't know there was such a thing before. This was before Tough Enough or it was showcased that like there are schools across the world that you can do this at. Uh, as soon as I saw a ring, I was like, man, I'm, I'm just going to do this. So it became like work a nine to five to support my hobby, very much like people uh, follow around like the cosplay conventions. Right. So, like, well, yeah. It's not like you do that as a job, but you enjoy doing that with your free time. 
So wrestling to me was something that I would work all day, all week to be able to go into this universe on the weekends and like escape. And it's weird because we as performers enjoy that escape, but that's also what we provide to the audience. Right. They work all week to pay their tickets to come and see us. And we encourage them to yell, get all the stress of their week (laughs) off it. Like they don't have to remain quiet for the performance. Heckle. If you want, if I'm a good guy and you don't like me, Tell me to fuck off. Like, <laughs> we, we give you that power because we appreciate that power. And I think that anyone who's ever had such a, a long-standing career would do it if there was money involved or not. Right. Because it's so much work. I mean, like a, like a musician or like a comic, it's like wrestlers also, they, you have to start from the bottom yeah. and really just put in like your entire self. so many parallels to stand up. Mm-hmm. There's a few guys who kind of cross the line between sports entertainment and, and stand up performances. And I've had a, the luxury of being able to talk to some stand ups. It, it runs so many parallels, man. Like you earn it with stand up. You absolutely do, and you start from a, a, a very small circle with hopes to make it hopefully big, but there's only so many spots. So if you are in it and if you've been in it, you are in it because you absolutely love it. Yeah, yeah. because it's not for a long time. It's it's only as rewarding as in, in of the fact it. that yeah. you're doing it yes. yeah. and not – the doing and is the doing. The, yes. doing, the yeah. doing is the, the reward. The glory is being out there doing the bit. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. And if you don't, if you're not into that part of it, because uh, I've been really fascinated lately with being result oriented, which I think is dangerous. Because if someone goes, oh, if they if they if they watch WWE or they see you, they go, man, I want to do that, and then they start doing the work. I'm like, oh, I don't want to do all that shit. I just want to be in the yeah, ring and yeah. I want to be famous. Like, to to I mean, I I have I certainly have an inkling of how hard. You must work. Yeah, but uh, I'll go back to what you just said. If your goal is, I want to be famous. Right. What the fuck is the tangible of that? Right. (laughs) Like, what is that? Right. I don't understand that. But when I see a ring and I get in and I'm like, I just want to learn to do this and sustainably do this in my life as long as I physically possibly can, then the ups and the downs will come. And when it's up, I think remain like keeping the perspective of I shouldn't be here anyway is a great perspective to have because it keeps you working hard to be like, well, I, I always, sometimes you, you see complacency in our workplace and that, I don't understand that because if you really wanted to be here and everyone, when put in front of a microphone, every one of us would be like, well, I wanted to do this since I was a kid. Did you really? Then you take the bad shit with the good stuff Mm -hmm. because it's not all good and it's tough work, but you should enjoy all of it. And uh, you really get the test of a person's metal when stuff doesn't go their way. Right. Oftentimes that's the case, but at the end of the day, you're a freaking pro wrestler. Like stuff (laughs) is going your way. I don't know how to tell you this. You may not have been paired with the person you want to quote unquote work with, but things are going your way. So it's all looking good. You are getting paid to perform in front of people. Like that's a, that's a good thing. And do you think like, is there a spot though? Say like you're, you're now a professional wrestler and you're, you know, you're doing these shows, you're, you're gigging night to night. Is there still conversations after shows when you guys are hanging out and you're like, it's like, man, I, I got to try and cross over into mainstream. It's like, it's no, like, this isn't enough. Like, um, so that's an interesting conversation. Uh, for the longest, my, my goal is to, like, I'm a, I'm a weird case. I'm a company man. Yeah. I love the company I work for. And I don't think I would ever, as a matter of fact, I can say with conviction, I know I will not ever perform anywhere else in a wrestling ring other than WWE That's because awesome. I love the company I work for. So my, uh, you know, you have this, this uh, life arc of like, I'd like to be a pro wrestler. I'd like to get a WWE contract. I'd like to be a champion. Well, then you ask yourself, why do I want to be a champion? And when I began to break that down, it was so more people could enjoy WWE. I hate the fact that pro wrestlers are looked at and judged in a certain way. I hate the fact that you walk into a room and people scour and be like, ah, it's those guys. And that, that's just, that's fact. That is the way it is. You get put, I mean, we, we run episodic television 52 weeks a year, two nights a week, no reruns, no off seasons. We have an incredible global reach. We have a streaming business model that's off the charts. And just now, just now, after 40 years of doing this, people are like, whoa, 
okay, it kind of works. <laughs> but that, that uh, acceptance has only come with the realization that like a digital presence, like YouTubers can be successful. It's, I, I guarantee YouTubers face even the same stigma. Oh, you're only popular on YouTube, kid, when they don't realize that like yeah. that's actually being genuinely <laughs> yeah. profitable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, it just, that just hit me the wrong way early on in my career, and it became my goal to be like, I would like to leave this place better than I found it, which is why I did the Marine early on. I didn't want to do movies. I didn't. I loved living the life. I loved going town to town, feeling the heartbeat of excitement, that tangible animal. You guys know if you're out there and you tell a joke or if they're buying the bit, you get immediate satisfaction or if you're bombing. Yeah, like, yeah. It's also immediate notice of like, <laughs> I'm going to change this. Yeah, I'm of course. Do next. And you yeah. always get another town. You always get another chance. So like, it's the, it's the passion of, of the live animal that is, is, is unlike anything in the world. And then when I was told to go do movies, I was very skeptical. But the business model made sense. If I take a WWE performer and make him a movie star, more eyes will watch WWE. Got it. That works with my mission statement. I'm going to do this get to Australia, start to film movie. I don't like this. I'd rather be home. <laughs> so um, I did a string of movies that were unsuccessful, and, and I gave it everything I had from an effort standpoint, but my heart wasn't in it. And my heart was in the ring. And now after 15 years of being in the ring, I have to once again strip it down to the bare metal of, like, why do I keep coming back to this thing? I, I don't need to. Uh, I've been very well taken care of by the WWE. So what is it that I, I, why do I not find myself able to drift away? I love the storytelling aspect of it. It's not the physical bumps. It's not like I'm going to do a stunt better than the next guy. So people will appreciate my athletic ability. I'm in the twilight of my athletic ability, but I'm drawn back because of the material, because of this guy hates you for this reason, or which is often the norm when the creative department comes up and say, you two guys are going to do something, figure it out. <laughs> and, and that is the, like a lot of our guys look, they frown upon that. Me, I literally take the guy by the neck and go into a room and like, why are we fighting? This is the best because they're not giving us any rules. We can come up with anything. Oh, wow. Like, did I tweet something that pissed you off a long time ago? Mm. Or have I ever looked at your girl the wrong way? Yeah. Or you vice versa? <laughs> or are you jealous of me? Or am I jealous of you? And then you can create, like, that's the imagination. that I t And that's what makes us nerds. Like, we take nothing and make it something. And that's what I love most about it. So that's what kind of reintroduced me to film. And... I've used the, my fortunate career in the WWE to not have to do movies, to be handed a script, to read a script and be like, fuck, that was great. Yeah. I'll be whatever they want me to be in it because I just read the story and like, well, they're thinking of you for the lead. I don't care. I'll be the dude who crosses frame <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because the story's good and I get all the pieces and you just like at my work, you just tell me what piece I am and I'll do the best to be my piece. So it's a different thing because you don't have the heartbeat of the live audience. But I still get to be enthralled by storytelling. And to answer your question in a very long way, I've never thought about crossing over for any other reason than to change perception of what it means to be a WWE performer. And now I can, I can get the thing I'm most passionate about, telling stories for an audience, just in a different format. Like it's... Um, it's a more long lead. Right. But when we premiered Blockers at South by Southwest, sitting there in the audience, <laughs> it was the same rush as when you're out there and you have a successful performance. People laughing so hard they miss five jokes. Right. And you want to be like, but then not caring because, you know, and, and me personally not wanting to quiet the crowd down because working in front of a live audience, you know when to speed up and slow down. Mm. You know when they don't get a joke and you need to move the next one. And you know when to hang on a joke <laughs> and give the audience that look so that it, it gives the punchline more depth. I wanted to slow the fucking movie down. Yeah. <laughs> like, slow the picture down. Wait, wait, wait. Pause, wait. pause this. Pause yes. this. Yes. Okay, okay, play it again. Because you play don't again. ever want to tell the audience how to react because you don't want to take away their freedom and their choice. But I wanted to be like, to the pitcher guy, slow down, kid. You're ruining the whole thing. But it's, it's, it gives you the same reward. It really does. Well, the good thing about a movie, too, like in a stand-up performance, you know, essentially people will see it once. I mean, because when you go back to a town, you kind of have to have a bunch of new material. So they'll see, you know, they, they have this intimate experience that's live and they have it once. But what's great about a movie is that people will watch Blockers and the movie's fantastic. And like I said, when you came in, you're so funny in it. And 
that, but it'll inspire people to go back and go, oh my god, I missed that joke the last time. Yeah. Like there are so many. This is definitely a movie that I think people will watch multiple times. I, I do, and um, you know whether they take more jokes away from it, that's fine. I think they'll watch it multiple times because the subject matter is so relatable. It, it really is, and it, it doesn't it doesn't lend itself to this moment in time. Like a lot of comedy is time centric. A lot of punchlines are event specific. Yeah, this is. Uh, young people becoming adults and adults' inability to understand that. That has been since the dawn of time. Yeah. Like, the kids today adage is, goes all the way back to ancient Greece. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's been since the dawn of And that's why, when I read it, I loved it and just wanted to be in it. And it's not one of those things where they were like, hey, John, we want you for the movie. I had to audition. I had to get it. Like, I, I chased it that proactively because I read it and I'm like, this is a wonderful story. And the original script that I read was not the script that we filmed. But the punchlines and the gags changed. The story didn't. And that was most important. That, like, they kept that story of parents thinking they have kids figured out, but kids are now adults. And they've lost the power to control their children and protect their children. And they have to make them let their own choices, but they're not ready to. Like, that's a whole cool conversation in its own right. Yeah. I mean, I know you said, look, I'll, you know, if, if it's a thing I like, I'll do whatever part you want, but is it, is it kind of nice that your physical structure didn't define, I mean, he's definitely, your character definitely is a sports guy, you know, like he kind of co- coaches his daughter, yep. but it's not like, it, it doesn't define the character. I think that's what's interesting uh, because, and I think that's where I missed in some of my early choices. Like, hey, you're a big guy. You should do save the world action. Uh, trust me, if a good Save the World action story comes across my desk, I would love to do it. But only because it's a good story. I think there's a, like, comedy comes from a lot of different places, and you can talk to people about their perception of comedy, and you'll get a lot of different answers. To me, I think the ability to laugh at yourself, and a lot of stand-up is, is almost purging oneself of one's flaws, mm-hmm. so people can laugh at you. <laughs> so... Um, when you can laugh at yourself and you don't have this perception that you need to always be cool, I think that you just open up the comedy vault for, like, whatever. So I enjoy playing against type or playing right down to type but finding the comedy in that. In, in Trainwreck, uh, to give you an opposite example, I was a physical dude who was confused about what he wanted out of life, <laughs> confused about sexually who he was, and that made for some interesting banter, whereas... The scene was written to just be a physically dominant human being that tired out Amy Schumer in, in, a, in a sex capade. Right. And she's like, ah, I'm tired of this. And in that script, they had one joke, one, of all the, like, they shortened the lines, and the one joke was when the dude finishes, he thinks she's a guy. <laughs> <laughs> so me, the nerdist, went back to the crea- creative lab being like, okay, this guy's homosexual and he doesn't know it. Why is he? Because he spent his life at the gym. The gym's around dudes. He's fascinated with the, the, the male body. Like, he wants to look this way. Why? Because he always looks at these things. But now he's being pushed in another direction where he wants a picket fence and two and a half kids. Like, you, you, the, the fun of creating. Yeah. And to be around funny people like Judd, like Amy, like Kay, like Ike, like Leslie, who embrace that environment and let you kind of run with it. Shit, they filmed a ton of stuff that didn't make the movie. They filmed a ton of stuff here that didn't make the movie. But they have options. And I'm not sitting on my fence going, I won't do this because it'll make me look stupid. Right. If I look into the face of a man upon climax, that's not, it's going to make me look stupid. Fuck it. I'll do it. Yeah. I'll do it because I get the joke. Right. I get it. You know, it's, it, I'm, I'm, I'm a very do good dad who is pretty straight and narrow and that's some pretty rough waters. You know? <laughs> and I, I find myself looking at what I'm looking at going, you know, she really is going to hurt herself. And I don't think she knows that. I think next time I see her at coffee, I'm going to be like, Hey, you should think about doing some flexibility stuff. <laughs> and then the bad moment happens and I'm caught in a world that I don't want to be in. And that's, I think that's the humor in that. So I don't, I don't mind laughing at myself. It seems like you, it seems like you're pretty, uh, you like stand up a lot. Were you always influenced by stand up, or do, I, who, who I think, are some of your influences? Uh, well, man, I, uh, my, my poor father, I think he just kind of did what he could to manage five boys, but uh, I literally watched Richard Pryor at mm-hmm. a very young age, mm-hmm. George Me too. Carlin at yep. a very young age. Yep. Um, those are kind of the two that I remember because my dad was so uh, enamored with those two. 
and they just happen to be two of the most inappropriate. And Murphy, <laughs> uh, and, and I'm talking Kinnison, like, probably. Well, when did uh, when did Delirious and Raw come out? Like was Delirious, Delirious was first as like eighty two, eighty three, and okay, then Raw so was like eighty six. Maybe I saw just to give you a context of like how corrupted I was as a young man. <laughs> I saw delirious when it came out Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i was born in 77 which means i saw that material at five years old. (laughs) i I had a very similar my parents are like oh he loves comedy he could just what my mom was like are you sure he should be like ah it's fine yeah my dad was uh he was protective in some sorts but exposing us to adulthood or at early age was not was not in his dna i mean he, he we really could get a free pass to whatever and I've always been attracted to comedies. I remember watching Airplane, the Kentucky Fried movie, mm. uh, like all, like even like used cars. Oh yeah, DC Cab. Yes, and like all of those movies when they came out. So at a very young age, I was always laughing, and I, I enjoyed comedies were my favorite thing. And then uh, they, they, it, it just hasn't changed. And I think I've I've grown to respect the art of stand up so much because I'm in the same profession. Yeah. The light is on me. People have paid to see me. And I got to do my damnedest to make them walk away going, that was worth my money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what are some of the, I thought, I thought Jonah was poking at this earlier and, but I'm interested to know, like when you, when you come off stage and you go backstage and you sit and talk, like what are some of the self-criticisms or like, oh, I should have done this or, you know, because you can have an amazing show as a stand-up and still feel like I didn't do what I wanted to do. Nothing is ever Or you can bomb and feel like you know what though I didn't I, I just did everything I wanted to do and I'm okay with that. Is it the same? Well, in in you you can have selfish performances, but that's I often say to the guys, and this is I watch a lot of matches that are performed to silence, mm-hmm. and I always say to the guys, we got a we got a facility in Orlando. It's got six rings in it. If you want to have those type of matches, turn on the cameras and go have them for yourself, <laughs> <laughs> because that's not your job. Your job is to make noise. The, the audience is supposed to be invested. Right. So if there's silence, you missed. And just simply ask yourself why you missed. And they'll look at me oftentimes from like this, this high point of like I never miss. So then I'll always add like, hey, did you remember when I did this last night? Yeah, I was there. That missed. And this is why it missed. Because I was trying to tell this story to get this effect. And it missed. And they didn't get it. So I'm telling you this from a place of like actualism. I miss every single night. But the button of the performance, I, I put a really good hedge on the beginning of the story and a really good hedge on the end. So I, I give myself the middle to swing and miss. And it's over the swing and miss process that I get more aces up my sleeve. Mm-hmm. Like this always works in the South, or this will work in Chicago, wow. or this will work here, this will work in Japan. And then you develop over time like a bag of tricks that you can go to. And it is literally an improv performance of taking your tricks and using them at the right time. Do any of the wrestlers take improv classes at all? Like, do... <sighs> We are improv. <laughs> <laughs> Let's try and, my fire. No, I, uh, I, I am, I'm truly one of the last performers to perform like this. And I, I, like when I leave, it, uh, the art will change. It really will. Um, I just go out there. I do. I'm confident in the skill set that I have. I'm confident in what the, the, my opponent's skill set. I have a talk with them before about what they can do. And if you talk to anyone who has ever worked with me, the first thing I ask is, what do you do? And then they'll tell me, like, scenario. No, no, specifically, physically, one move at a time, what do you do? And I just commit, commit that to memory. And I've been criticized many times for speaking loudly in the ring. I don't care if the first six rows or if someone who's snarkily watching the broadcast hears what I'm going to do before I do it because it has to be done at exactly the right time. So if, if they want to look behind the cloak and see how the Statue of Liberty appears, fine. Don't complain about it. I'm playing to the people up in Section 313. Mm-hmm. And they're the animal that are on their feet pulling their hair out going, this is crazy. <laughs> so if you hear me say, hit me or do this, it is only because it is the exact time to do that, and I cannot prefabricate that behind the curtain. Right. Right. So, you have to feel it in the moment. You have to be in the moment. You have to, and you have to know. And it's easy in stand-up because you're out there by yourself. Right. But picture if you're out there doing a routine with two, three, sometimes six, seven other performers. 
there has to be a system of communication so people don't step on the reactions. And a lot of times, because our guys now prepare everything in the performance, they, a lot of times that's what the silence is. They'll just go through this physical exhibition and not let people get invested. And, and in a movie, the direct, it's the director's job to plan out those moments. I think this will be suspenseful. So they know how long a scene should be. They know how long a look should be. They know how long a joke should stand. They know how big a stunt should be. But in the live performance game, all you have is your ears, and it's your most valuable asset. And I've been in there with so many guys, especially as of late, and I, I love this. I truly love it. And I, I, I really hope they're learning from it because there's, it's no better way to perform ever, like to go out there with a clear mind and not have anything and to come back to thunderous applause like you feel as if you just climbed Kilimanjaro <laughs> in a single bound. Like this, it's, you can tell by the way I'm presenting it to you, like it beats my heart. Like it is, it is my absolute passion. But uh, so many guys <laughs> will just get to a position like, what do we do now? <laughs> we fucking listen. <laughs> so it's weird because in a lot of times I'll uh, – and this, like, I, I didn't know we were going to go way inside baseball, but I actually love talking about this stuff. A lot of times I'll tell, tell performers, hit me and be yourself. Hmm. That's great. Because they, I listen to the noise and I can translate that they need time for the audience to invest in them. Right. And you should see what some guys do. When I tell them to be themselves, a lot of guys don't know what themselves are. No, that's a very difficult. And, th- yeah. and that, that's, that's the great struggle with stand-up too is that, and any great stand-up will tell you like, eh, it takes six to eight years before, some people say 10 or 12, to figure out what your voice is, who you are, yes. getting comfortable in your own skin, getting to that place where you sort of, it's like in the first Spider-Man movie when he, when he kind of gets the spider sense and everything slows down yeah. and he, you can, he can like see the fly's wings beating and you just become hyper aware of yeah, everything. Yeah. It takes a lot of time to get to that point. And I was very fortunate to come up in an environment where that was the norm. So like I got to tour with all the great stand-ups essentially. Right. I got to perform with every legend you could possibly imagine from that style of performance. No one ever planned anything. It was just go out there and feel the pulse. And I was scared shitless as a kid going out there, but I learned how to do that. And I often tell guys, and and I don't know how many of them listen, um, you already know how to plan out this brilliant physical expos. You, You know that. You can do it with your eyes closed. You can sit back here and plan out a 248 stunt performance in eight minutes that I could never do on my best day. Try it the other way. Because you already know you can do the pre-plans. Right. Try it the other way. See which one is more rewarding. And at the very least, if you don't like what I'm telling you, you got another tool in your, in your tool, tool case. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, only, because I only can speak from my own experiences, I don't know how many performers use, use that method. And, and mine doesn't change. It's not a lot of guys will act differently with non-televised events or pay-per-view events. I am the same for every event because every event is a live event. Yeah. And, and I, people will be like, yeah, but you got to give this much more effort for this. It's not about effort. It's about audience response. And one of the best matches I've ever seen in my life is Hulk Hogan versus The Rock at WrestleMania. And those dudes just looked at each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And it was the best because it was the energy of like generations colliding and the importance of what was at stake. And I'm not ready to let go of Hogan yet. And I kind of want Hogan not to be NWO Hogan. I want him to be brother, brother Hogan. And then the rock. And I don't know what the rock's future is. And maybe he's betraying us by leaving or not, but I kind of like him. But then during the course of the match, I psychologically realize I don't like him. And (laughs) they're just looking at each other. Yeah. And the audience fuels the energy. So, they never once took it away. They just looked and listened, and it's, it is the best definition of what we do because that is revered as one of the most impactful moments of all time. Two dudes looking at each other. Well, and it, and it, it feels like it could be very tricky to... You've managed to not... It sounds like not kind of let your ego get in the way that if you, if, when two people do go out there and people are cheering and they feel like they're killing it, sometimes people get more rigid and they get less likely to take risks or, or put themselves out on a limb because they're like, i got to protect what I have. That's the, 
That is the common perception. They are afraid to fail. And I have failed so many times. And that's okay. It is. Because that's how you learn. It, it absolutely is. But we, we come from a culture where you never want to mess up. Right. And because you feel like that's the end. It's done. And if, I could, if any, any of our guys or gals are listening, it is not the end. It is how you learn. And I think messing up is essential. But what's more essential is to be able to come through the curtain and say, I missed. This is why. Mm-hmm. Why did they not get that? Because to me, that's really funny stuff, or that's really suspenseful stuff. Why wasn't the suspense there? Okay, the geography doesn't dictate uh, what they think is funny. It's different. Uh, I think we may be in the middle of an earthquake. Yeah, is that a little so. earthquake? I think so. Yeah. Do we, are we feeling it? Yeah, a little bit. This, yeah. Or is that Hulk Hogan coming this around the corner? Is so shocking. It's shaking the very foundation, brother. This would be amazing if all of a sudden the ceiling just caved in and like five WWE guys came in. And that's Let's why this room it. is that's empty. A ring came up. From the <laughs> but it would just be all audio. Audio WWE is maybe not well, as... A... We, we know Mother Nature's listening, which is fantastic. And, and for those out there, I think we're, we're done with the first wave of, of the earth shifting. It seems like everything's... Didn't seem too bad. Yeah. Settled and Three, five? Three, four, maybe? That was enough to feel... Like, everybody look around and like, are we having an earthquake? Yeah, that's always... That's almost every earthquake I've ever experienced. It's like, was that... Is that an earthquake? Yeah. Well, there's a... I I, I subscribe to the Los Angeles subreddit... And the second there's everyone, everyone else feeling an earthquake, and then everyone will kind of yeah. pipe in. Oh pipe yeah, in. here's where I here's what I was doing, but uh, but um, just I, just being able to to tell yourself why did I miss? And a lot of times this is where it sucks. It's because you as a performer didn't relay the right message. Right. And what guys will blame the audience? Ah, uh, they didn't get it. They didn't get it because you didn't do a good enough job. Right. And I think that's the main. Guys, don't you don't ever want to be wrong. That's a tough. That's a tough business because you got to go through it by yourself. Mm-hmm. When you bomb, when you fail, it is a lonely walk back through the curtain. It is a lonely uh, drive to the next town. But you can you can learn from it. And I just I think guys don't don't process it, and they have such an environment now where they don't have to process it. They have all these millions of people following them so, on social networks that'll tell them how good they are. So if they bomb, they just go check their feed. You're the best, man. Keep it. You know, keep your head up. Like. You, you, you build this environment that's safe where you never have to confront the loneliness and the, and the solitude of failure. Which, you know, if you can, obviously it hurts. It's this is gonna... getting crazy, man. As no, you can see, this is getting, yeah. no, but this is <laughs> not what you signed up for. No, it is. It, no, this, <laughs> believe me, this is exactly what I signed up for because I love, you know, it, 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 every, everything, every process, every profession, every person, like there's a human story. And I think even if someone doesn't understand wrestling, to be able to extrapolate these ideas, they're so applicable to everything about taking risks and learning and getting to know who you are and also knowing that it's okay to hurt when you, you fail, but using fail. it as a teaching yes. lesson. What can I... And the people who are the most successful know how to flip that failed experience and turn it into and armor yeah. and make something out of it yeah. and and it'll and take and go down a path that maybe they wouldn't have gone down yep. otherwise yep. but i'd love to know like what the parallels are for so like in stand-up you know if someone's like hey uh, airplane food's crazy right you're like ah here's a hacky jokes like what are the what what are the sort of hacky things within wrestling where if someone does you're like da, 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 da. don't well, do that here's the thing i I'm the one who does all that stuff. <laughs> because, because what, I guess what the uber purist views as hacky, the audience views as entertaining. Ah. We want, we want uh, grandiose performances. And we want to be entertained. And we want to be invested. And it is, it is the largeness of, of Broadway. You have to be big. You have to be presented because of the size of the hall we play. But you also have to be relatable. And you want to talk about how obsessive I am in what I do. We're a PG show. Step one, know your audience. PG. That means kids. Mm-hmm. That means it's not all kids. But kids can come through the turnstiles with their parents' permission. Right. So a majority of our audience is kids. What's tough is I now have to perform in an entertaining way to a six-year-old, to an 18-year-old, to a 35-year-old and to a 65-year-old. That doesn't work. 
that very rarely works. A situation like Shrek is a, is a great example of mm-hmm. how it works on all platforms. Um, so that's why, like, a lot of times the good guys get a mixed reaction. Because to a six-year-old, that's a good guy. He looks like a hero. He plays by the rules. I feel like he's fighting for me. Like, he's, he's a good dude. And an 18-year-old's like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> Boring. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, there's no way I dig this guy at all. And by the way, the company is shoving him down my throat. Right. And then you get to the end of the age spectrum, and the, the ethos is, well, you know what? That ideology is a good influence for my son or my daughter. I like this guy. He's my guy. <laughs> so it's, it's weird. It really is. And a lot of that has to do with projection. So I'm, I, I will never, ever in my career be heralded as the most technical, able-bodied performer in the ring. And if I do, the person who writes the review is Orson Welles in the Champagne commercial. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I believe that I put enough investment into telling a story. And I'm not afraid. Here we go. It's another earthquake. I think it's it? been shaken the whole. There must be some kind of air conditioning or some of this. It's, or sometimes because we're in a hotel, I wonder if like people are rolling. Yeah, I'm not seeing anything on Twitter. The new LA subterranean transit system. Yeah, that's yes. just, yeah, yeah. yeah, you know what? Uh, hey, Elon back. Musk, let's dig six stories down into a seismically active <laughs> region and uh, see but how that I, goes. I do all the hacky stuff. Uh, just last week, we had a run through Oklahoma and Dallas where we were booked in a, uh, a four-way matchup. Mm-hmm. And that means four guys fighting for one prize. And a lot of times, this is one of those instances where they tell you, hey, here you are, figure it out. So in me figuring it out, I'm like, you know what? I haven't done this in a long time. The bad guys are going to bring out the baby powder and want to throw it in my face to blind me. And it's going to backfire, and the powder is going to go everywhere. Now, that isn't really something that a guy who's trying to vault off another guy to like head fling another guy into another dude to dive to his death is thinking about. <laughs> but I am because the audience hasn't seen it in a long time. The situation calls for it in the match. There are no rules so nothing's illegal. It creates an unfair advantage for the bad guy. It creates an obstacle to overcome for the hero and it creates an effect that they don't see in the seven matches prior to my performance. So we did it three nights <laughs> it missed on one of the nights and i totally took a uh, responsibility for it but it was something that was viewed as like different and fun and cool but it's a hacky deal <laughs> it's a it's a quote-unquote pro wrestling deal i think the ability to get over yourself and get over your own ego of like well, that's, he's just doing that to get a reaction from the audience. You're damn right. Yeah, that's what yeah, people yeah, pay for. Exactly. That's what we pay. And if someone can do that and consistently get a reaction, I think this is, this is where it gets um, probably you as stand-ups. I know me as a critical source from what I do. When people go out and do the hacky stuff to no response, that's phoning it in. Right. That is absolutely 100% phoning it in when they go out and do what is known as like the easy bits to no response to no investment to to nobody caring they are they are wasting that portion of the performance they're taking it away from other performers uh they're shortchanging the audience and they're certainly not giving all they have in the ring so i think when you you probably say the same about a comic comic when they go out there and they do the hacky jokes to no response not booze not cheers just People going to get coffee. <laughs> right, right, right. Like that, you, you wasted it, man. Because some intelligent dude may be able to take the hacky material and create a character around the hacky material. Absolutely. And that's their bit, and that's their thing. Yeah, yeah there was a really, a, a much more advanced stand-up when I was very young. I said something like that about like, oh, you can't do jokes about this. And he was like, no, you can. There are hacky premises, maybe, but it all depends on how you express these ideas and yeah. how you're able to communicate them to the audience. And, you know, it's, it's so wonderful and interesting to me to hear this dimension of what you do about being present and connecting with the audience. And it's, and it's not just like, oh, we go out there and flail around. Like, there's, there's a no. real, there's so much 
art and craft to it. It's just, you know, most stand-ups also don't spend any time in the gym. Yeah. <laughs> but well, beyond that... I was going to say, a lot of his stuff, too, like a lot of the way you, you speak about the performing and breaking down the characters and working up with a partner on a scene, it's, you know, my wife's been in Meisner acting training for years, and it's it sounds very similar yeah. to, like, what you've been describing as I how to break down stuff and what's their story, what else, if the this, then what. The most important thing is just to be present. Yeah absolutely be present which is scary can be very scary yeah because sometimes it sucks yeah Yeah. it does (laughs) but if you're present enough through failure you can try and try and try to take the ship from sinking and there's a few times where she's going to (laughs) sink those are uh the sun comes up tomorrow and like once again i'm already on borrowed time i'm doing a job that shouldn't be a job so if i sink the ship permanently enough for people to be like thank you for your service you're done here I go back to the real world. It's all good. Yeah, but do you, do you ever? It sounds like you. It sounds like you have a very good attitude about the whole thing. But whereas, you know, someone like Hulk Hogan or The Undertaker or The Rock or whoever can sort of separate themselves from the character of The Rock or the character of Hulk Hogan. But you're you. But and here's the deal. You say that, and I, I like go back and listen to what you just said. Okay. When we see Hulk Hogan, what does he look like? When we see The Undertaker. What does he look like? Right. When we see The Rock, The Rock went a span calling himself Dwayne Johnson. Of course. Now he's known to the world as The Rock because they were so good at defining their characters. That is their character. My character is myself, and I have what's known in in the inner circles as the Superman outfit. Mm -hmm. The ball cap, the t-shirt, the shorts, the knee pad, the shoes, the wristbands, the towel. Like, that's that's Superman. Mm Mm-hmm. You're talking to Clark Kent. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? And, and the great thing about it is, and this is the, all the other stuff, reading the news, hosting the Kids' Choice Awards, doing these movies, doing interviews like this, helps define Clark Kent. But it's my moments on WWE television. If you go back and look at like what I do, I'm a good guy who says he's going to win and loses. And then the next day has to go out and not make excuses. I lost. I didn't get it done. We're going to get back up and go again. Like, and this is just me challenging myself to be vulnerable, to face the audience and fail, uh, to get mixed reactions and be able to keep a smile on my face. Like, I have challenged myself so much to become a real human as opposed to this ass-kicking, take-no-prisoners, undefeatable source of heroic justice. I'm just a dude, and I'm just a dude on TV. And when I orate in front of an audience, I got to get fired up. Right. Because you have to get the audience interested. So, you, you know, you give me the role of the town crier and I'll be the best town crier you got. But there's also moments where I'm defeated. I've showed embarrassment. Uh, I, I've showed emotion. I've, I've told the woman in my dreams that I love her in a very real moment. Like, we, I blur the lines more than any other character. It's not, and this is no... Um, no shot to those guys, the Austins of the world, the Hogans, the Undertakers. The, uh, the Rock is palatable as other people. He's the, he is the, the standard. He is the gold standard. But people are so attached to The Rock that they like that, and that makes them comfortable. And like that's how they know Dwayne. And that, there's nothing to be ashamed of that. Same with Hogan, Austin, Undertaker. There's nothing to be ashamed of seeing Steve Austin and thinking he's going to kick you in the stomach, give you a stunner, flip you off, and drink a 12 There's nothing wrong with that. And that's a testament to how good he does that. That's a testament to how good his performance is. And if you look at those guys' career span, Undertaker's very limited performance. He's been, he's been a long time, but even he's had to go through evolutions. Hulk Hogan's had to be good, and then bad, and then good again. I've had to be me for 15 years. I started out rapping for three or four years. So for 12 years, I have had to be me. No switching character, no bad guy turn, no, uh, no personality waverment. Like, it's just me. So I've had to, like, chip away the, the fantasy. And you, you see before you, like, this weird, real human being who still, when called upon, looks like a hero and possesses, like, weird superhero powers sometimes. <laughs> so I think that's... And, and also laughing at myself like doing stupid things and not being afraid that it will it's going to take away all i have it's going to ruin the toughness of my character well i just said on television that i love someone and that i want to get married that's not a very tough thing to do there's not many guys that would do that 
I just said on television that I lost fair and square to a better man, and I'm not as good as I thought I was. But I'm not going to quit and get back up and go. That is not a tough thing to do. That's a crappy thing to do. That's, that's the losing Super Bowl interview where the guy's head's down and he's, he's broken. And, like, you see this heroic figure broken. And, and, and over those moments, I've learned to, to like, it's, it's not the end. It is the end when you stop trying. It is the end when you stop being present. It is the end when they stop caring. They stop caring when you stop caring. So nothing, not one moment, essentially takes your presence away. I'm, I'm, I'm currently in a story headed to WrestleMania now where I'm either going to wrestle The Undertaker, which would be a fucking awesome experience. I, like, have goosebumps thinking about it. But it is not yet set in stone. My other option is to be a fan. And I'm invested in being a fan because I'm still a fan. And I did a monologue the other night about how important it is to be a fan. Because if we perform to an empty audience, it's what we do is stupid. <laughs> do you, you know what I'm saying? It's, it is. Yeah. It's, but but you, add, you add the biggest superstar of the whole program, and it's fucking awesome. It is awesome. So I don't care. It, like, and this is me. After 15 WrestleManias, after working on, on top, brother, with the biggest names in the business, I would love to buy a ticket and spend my WrestleMania in five minutes on the floor and then go up to the two sections and then go to the luxury box and then scream from way up high, hey, I'm up, I'm up here, I'm still having an awesome time. If that's what they ask me to do, I'll do it. I don't have any ego or any perception of this will ruin who I am. And I try to do the best I can with any story, with every story, to lead by example to everybody in the locker room of like, it will only kill you if you're like, this is stupid, I'm not playing ball. Because it translates to the viewer. It translates to the viewer. Oh, they, they, they understand the authenticity. Like, they connect to it. Even if they don't fully understand why they're disconnecting, they know mm-hmm. if, they're, if someone's they not, not invested. And, but that idea of loving the process so much and that being a way to avoid the ego problems is such a great lesson to take away because then you're doing it because it's important to you and True. not because of, again, trying to get that re- And once result. again, we go back to the, to the origin of why I chose to do this. It was just fun. And I had fun. And I think along the way with, you know, the, the, the success you get from this, the financial success and the notoriety, you forget about, like, why you did it and why, why the fun is. Right. And uh, I've never forgotten that for one second. Uh, I think in my, in my lifelong curve, I probably went through a span of two years where I thought I was entitled to have a normal life. So, like... I perform for you people, and I will give you my heart and soul, and we will talk about events coming up, and that'll be fun. But if I want to go out for breakfast, I am entitled for you to stay away from me. Mm-hmm. That is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> that is absolute bullshit. This is the trade-off of fake life. Right. Like, I'm even present in that moment. I understand. And it's weird. I'll be with friends. I'll be with family members, and they'll get pissed off. And I'll be like, you kidding me? That's, I get to do that. So I can do that. If people stop yeah. coming up to you, that's a problem. That's a problem. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's often, and this literally is just, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to just have been doing it for so long to understand. I think in a lot of cases, people have that learning arc, and it's cut off before they can realize, like, man, I was doing it wrong. You know? And when it's gone, they're like, just give it to me back for a second, and I'll say hi to everybody. I promise. I'll do whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll do anything. And, but it's gone. And a lot of our guys and gals, I think, have a mixed perception about what we do. We are on all the time. Every time that you, you, you breach the, the threshold, you're on. And you should, you should enjoy it because at the end of the day, we're, we're not really working at all. Yeah. But you said you're in the, sort of in the twilight of your WWE career. Does that mean, you know, you're sort of looking at a period of time like, yeah, you know, maybe physically it's too demanding or I just feel like it's time to move on to give other people a shot or maybe it just feels like I did everything as I could as, do. As far as, also, uh, I'm, I'm a realist, but I'm also a true competitor, man. As, <laughs> as far as moving over and giving people something, I had to scratch and claw, just like in the world of stand-up, yes, for every single inch you get. And I am 100%, as I said it on television, I'll say it on your podcast, I'll say it to whoever asks, when I am defeated by a better op- opponent or, a, or a, a, a fair adversary, I will gladly pass the baton and say, okay, now I can rest. But until then, I am still absolute all systems go. And if I can put all of my chips 
and invest in a story where I'm going to buy a ticket to an event where I should be performing, I am far from fucking done. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's good. I mean, I listen, I think, you know, again, I think you're so funny in blockers and uh, that it, it... you would have a. I think you'll have a film career if you want it. Like if you want, if you ever needed it or wanted it, you'd have it. But it's it's not. Um, that's not it, man. It's like, hey, I wrote this. I want you to read it because I think it's fun, mm-hmm. or I think it's really suspenseful, or I think it'll make you cry. You were right. How do I how do I help? Mm-hmm. And that's where I am right now. Just for fun, if you wanted to. Start something with someone else on the podcast, which they could then reference at some point in the future and go, hey, you said this on that podcast, man. You know, I, I think you have about a thousand of those already. <laughs> <laughs> this, started, this started probably as you were going to probably ask me about like the film and whatever. And I just, uh, I just attacked the day a different way. You have one of the most inside informative interviews, not only to our business, but to my life. Because they don't let me do a lot of these. Yeah. And I enjoy the, the length of conversation of a podcast. I like that it's not five minutes. Uh, you, you have to get past the pleasantries and the small talk and the promotion. I enjoy doing these. I'm so glad because okay. I, I enjoy watching you. And, you know, just even, not even just your work with Make-A-Wish, but in general, it's easy to see, like, oh, John's a good guy. Like, he seems like a good guy. You're doing it right. I'm, I am just a guy like all of us. I'm just trying to figure it out. Right. And, and, and it, like... We take the ethos of performance. Life is the same thing, man. You fail. You like you try to figure it out, but like it is an evolving thing. Over the years, I've had to become a better man. I've had to become a better lover. I've had to become a better partner. I've had to to, to change my stubborn, stupid ways. And this is not in the workplace. This is in life. And like every day is hard work. Every single day is hard work because I'm still trying to figure it out, and I don't have it figured out. And you know, uh, it, it's, I, I look forward to that every day. I look forward to being like, okay, what am I missing today? What am I hitting on? What can I do better? How can I be better? Just that one-tenth of a second better than I was yesterday. And so what's your big thing that you feel like that, you're over, that you need to overcome still? Like what's your, Don't what's- look at life selfishly. Look at life from a grand perspective. This has also helped me tremendously with my work. It's okay to be selfish because we can't help but like, well, if I'm never going to get married because I had a bad experience once and I never want that to happen to me again. I'm never getting married. In Waltz is the woman of my dreams. (laughs) Holy shit. She sweeps me off my feet and I'm smitten to the point of like, I would never hold hands in public because I want people to think I'm a tough guy. Right. I'm making out with her. I I, I can't speak highly enough about who this woman is because she just puts a smile on my face and in the worst of times she can find it to get my stern cold robotic heart beating (laughs) it's amazing so then i start to ask myself why did i say i wouldn't get married yeah because honestly i was too much of a selfish bastard i wasn't ready to be a husband and i didn't understand what marriage was do some research on what marriage is talk to your partner about why it's so important and then come up with an answer. And if you can have a defense on why you don't need it, then maybe you don't need it. I, I ran out of excuses. I absolutely did. It is truly important to Nicole for more reasons than just the world knowing we're married. Um, it, it's something that I was just standing on as a matter of principle, archaic, stupid principle. And I changed my mind. And in recent times, I've done the same with having kids. And it's just been me being honest enough. And, and this, is, this proves I'm not full of shit. When I tell you, like, look in the mirror when you fail. Honest enough to say, why don't I want kids? Look in the mirror. Because I love my life the way it is, and I'm too selfish to fucking give it up. <laughs> that's, that's usually the reason, yeah. And, and that's a, that's a, that's a you know, come-to-faith moment of like, okay, what does it mean to the other person? Is there a compromise? If so, what's the compromise? Have you even bothered to talk about it? Or has it just been no? It's always just been no. So then we begin to talk. And over months of difficult conversations, which end up in arguments and end up in differences of opinion, it almost ended our marriage before we even put a ring on each other's finger. And then it walks away with me being like, do I want to let this woman out of my life? No, I don't. 
So when you say, I'm willing to do anything for you, when I'm willing to say, till death do us part, you full shit? Like, are you really willing to do that? And then I ask myself in the mirror, just me in the mirror, and my answer is yes. So my opinion changes. And it's going to be tough, and it's going to be troublesome, and it's not like I'm way out of my comfort space. I am not the dude who gets up, rifles his coffee down, checks the performances of the market, sees the headlines, goes on to working out, then studies language, then does piano, then goes on on my day. <laughs> I am not that guy who is like, the kid's hungry. I don't know when he's going to eat. You got to kick it with him or her for the next four hours. I'm not that guy. <laughs> but I'm a guy in love, so I'm going to be that guy. So, like, I failed in that part of life, and I'm figuring it out. And I was bold enough to look at myself in the mirror. And I was bold enough to figure out, like, hey, I can't live a day without her. If I let her go, yeah, you know, the sun will rise tomorrow and I'm not going to end the story. But I will never get over losing her. And I'm willing to change my entire life to accommodate something that is so important to her. The ability to give life to something, the ability to nurture that life, the ability to see it blossom and grow and fail for itself. I can't, I can't take that away. I can't. God damn it, John Cena. I just want to hug you. <laughs> and because th- there's, a, there's a lot of things that you're saying that feel very familiar to me about, you know, where my wife and I are going to go with kids and, 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 you know, am I too, can I not be selfish and can I be, you know, it's all those things. And so it's so refreshing and so wonderful to hear you say all those things. And I know that it's going to resonate for people too. Yeah. Well, and, and on, also on the flip side, your answer to that question doesn't have to be, I'll change. Of course. Be honest enough with yourself to know that if you take the leap of faith, you're, you, you're not going to contribute to it. Like, that's a bad decision. And you have to understand, like, I can't let Nicole go. I can't. And I know that as much as I think, like, it's going to be tough, I'm not built for it, I'll be fine. You'll I'll, be fine. I'll people will doing it, it for ages, but and you're very capable. But there are also people that won't be fine. And there are also people that make that decision that resent that decision. Mm-hmm. And that is the beginning of the destruction of the relationship and all that comes with it. So if you look in the mirror and you say to yourself, I can't do it because I'm too selfish, own that. Yeah, at least be willing to ask the question. At least yes. be open to being flexible. Yes. So I guess, when I, once again, a very long answer to the question, when you look at life through a grand perspective, consider your own feelings, which is what we always do no matter what we think or not. It is what we always do. How does this situation affect me? But be long lens enough to see the other point of view, to think about things you never thought about, to ask the questions that are tough to talk about, and to talk with the people involved in the choice. And I think that, that kind of gets you to the most information you can to, to try to figure out this stupid thing we call life. Dude, yeah. thank you so much. It has been an absolute pleasure. And if I ever get bombarded with an accidental overdose of gamma radiation, I hope you'll be my Hulk. <laughs> because, you know, I'd, be, both... I'd be the shittiest Hulk ever. <laughs> Shitty like, Hulk would be a great character. Awesome and green and like, hey, what do you want to do? Hey, I, don't, I don't know, man. You want to just go get a glass of wine somewhere? Yeah. I'm just not that mad. Yeah, it's because life is pretty good, right? It's the incredible sulk. <laughs> yeah, I just don't really feel like doing anything. The incredibly mediocre, larger than normal yeah. guy. Hey, guys, what's going on? Whoa. Uh, hey, no, no, it's cool. It's fine. Cool. Yeah. Whatever. I was one. hey. What are you going to do? I got to get new pants again. Yeah, again. <laughs> yeah. God, do you guys have a shirt? Can I borrow a shirt? Uh, everyone should go see Blockers. I think the movie's going to be... Um, I, I, you're great in it. Leslie's incredible in it. Ike Barinholtz is a comedy mastermind. Yeah. And, and, and all the young women in it are fucking fantastic. Yes, they are. And this is the reason why. They played it genuine. This is a funny story. But the humor in this story and the reason Kay Cannon did such a great job... She's a, she's a comic writer. She can write punchlines for days. She chose, when she got her directorial debut, to focus on story. And I think the reason why we laugh at these moments and people are laughing over jokes is because they lived them. And they're laughing over punchlines, but the moments that they're laughing at are real-life moments, so I don't care if they hear the punchlines. Right. <laughs> they're laughing at the awkward relationship between a mountain of a man and his daughter now that she has boobs, Mm -hmm. and he doesn't understand. (laughs) They're laughing at a father trying to get his kid back when he's been absent and and the bad choices that he makes, but he's he's good-hearted. They're laughing at a mom whose daughter is her best friend, and they don't know how to change the world. They don't know how to take the next step in the relationship. Those those awkward 
livable moments is, is the reason why people will watch it not once, but they'll go back to watch it again. And Gary Cole in a very memorable yes, performance. Indeed. We have a connection that will never be broken. <laughs> By the way, I he don't was want to spoil awesome. it. He was awesome. He's great. Oh, he's yeah. he amazing. is great. I've worked with him before, and he's amazing. And uh, but I don't want to spoil what he does in the movie, but it it'll stick with you. Uh, it, it did with me. <laughs> so people need to remember that when they see it and go, oh, okay, I get it now. But uh, thanks for being here. Thanks no, for taking and, uh, the time. Thanks for giving me a form to purge myself. You're, that was great. John, you're uh, fantastic, and, and, uh, and, I'm, and I'm flattered that you wanted to do the podcast. Cool, and, man. And I really appreciate it. All righty. All right. Cool. Enjoy a burrito, everyone. ID 10 scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. Hey, it's Guy Raz here, the host of How I Built This, a podcast that gives you a front row seat to how some of the biggest products were built and the innovators, entrepreneurs, and idealists behind them. Every week, I speak to someone new, stories like Justin Wolverton's, a lawyer who just wanted a healthy alternative to ice cream, so he created Halo Top in his Cuisinart. Or Todd Graves, who grew his fried chicken restaurant Raising Cane's into one of the most successful fast food chains in the U.S. All of these great conversations can help you learn how to think big, take risks, and navigate crises in life and work from people who've done all of that and more. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.